We would like to welcome you to the merry month of May. Oh, yeah. This is our first show in the month of May. And my name's Gavin Walker, and this is, of course, <laughs> the jazz show, a regular feature on CITR, FM 101.9, or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. And uh, we have, of course, a whole variety of music to play for you this evening from uh, different eras, different styles, and uh, so many things that encompass um, the wonderful world of jazz music. And that's what we're about. And, of course, the most important part of our show, or one of the most important parts of our show, is the jazz feature, which, of course, is going to happen right now. And for the month of May, a very simple premise for the four jazz features this month, because there are four Mondays in May, there'll be four jazz features. And the premise of this is a very simple one. The traditional jazz quintet. Saxophone, either alto or tenor. Trumpet, piano, bass, and drums. That instrumental um, combination is perhaps the most common in jazz music, at least in modern jazz music. It was the instrumental combination of Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie um, when they revolutionized jazz in the mid-40s. Uh, Charlie Parker's working quintet had that instrumentation, saxophone, trumpet, piano, bass, and drums. And, of course, so many uh, groups um, are have that particular kind of instrumentation. It is a jazz tradition, really, the um, traditional quintet. And that's going to be uh, the premise of this month's jazz feature, And so all of the feature albums will be with this same instrumentation. Now, of course, you you will notice if you listen every week and and hear all of these groups, you're going to hear certain similarities, obviously. There's sonic similarities between the the instruments, um, saxophone, trumpet, piano, bass, and drums. But um, each of these bands has a particular style and a particular aim. Two of the bands that I'll be featuring will be regular working bands. These were bands that were together for a long time and worked gigs, concerts all over the world. And two of the other bands will have that instrumental combination, but they were put together only for the record date. So... um, It'd be interesting to perhaps compare them. Tonight's jazz feature is a band that is a working band. And it has this particular um, instrumental combination, the quintet. The quintet is led by one of the all-time great pianists, composers, and one of the longest people that... uh, He had the longest contract for Blue Note Records. He began recording... Uh, as a sideman for Blue Note Records uh, way back in about 1952 
and um, he continued to, uh, when he formed his first band um, in 1956, he continued to record. Um, he had the longest contract of any uh, musician that recorded for that legendary label. And I'm talking about pianist Horace Silver. Horace Silver, of course, made his mark as one of the original members of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, and he was the favorite piano player uh, in the um, mid-50s of Miles Davis. He was on some very, very important Miles Davis recordings. Horace Silver, uh, his piano stylings are very simple. Um, he simplified the Bud Powell approach to the piano, and um, uh, he plays basically uh, within the, uh, an octave of, of middle C, and um, his, um, his musical lines are, are not complicated at all, but try and do that. <laughs> it's not easy. Horace Silver, of course, became uh, someone who was uh, uh, imitated by so many piano players. Um, Horace was a great influence, not only as a pianist, but as a composer as well. And so much of uh, his music, uh, it was just um, played by, by, by different bands. Now, Horace um, left um, the original version of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers in 1956 and formed his own quintet made up of tenor saxophone, trumpet, piano, bass, and drums, right? The standard quintet. And uh, there were some personnel changes um, in the 1950s, um, but by the time 1958 rolled around, the personnel was basically set. The trumpeter was the great from Florida, Richard Blue Mitchell. The tenor saxophone player was another Floridian, a wonderful player, kind of uh, in the same um, musical style as, as Hank Mobley, but he had his own identity too, and his name, Junior Cook. And wonderful, strong bass player, Gene Taylor. And the original drummer uh, was Lewis Hayes. That changed in 1959 when Lewis Hayes got a, quite a lucrative uh, offer from Cannonball Adderley, and he left the band uh, with Horace's blessing, and Horace hired the great Detroit, legendary Detroit drummer, Roy Brooks. But the basic sound of the quintet, despite the changes in drummers, uh, the basic sound of that quintet um, remained for approximately six years with the same instrumentation. They made a whole series of albums for Blue Note Records. Horace was a very consistent recording artist. He recorded two albums every year for Blue Note uh, with all new material on, on any, any of his new albums. So he's a very prolific composer. And, of course, um, the sound of the band was so, this particular edition of the band was so unified. The horns were, uh, they, they performed as one, and uh, just a, such a, a marvelous sound. This particular album happens to be a favorite of mine, and it may be a favorite of yours after you hear it. It's called the Tokyo Blues. 
and it was recorded in July of 1962 after a tour of Japan. And unfortunately, um, Horace's drummer, Roy Brooks, became ill and wasn't able to do the Japanese tour and was still on a leave of absence when they returned from the tour to record this album uh, in the studio. Um, and his place was taken by a wonderful drummer that Horace knew from um, Hartford, Connecticut. His name is John Harris, Jr. And this is his only recording with the quintet, but you, you don't miss Roy Brooks um, because John Harris, Jr. is one hell of a drummer and uh, obviously took to Horace's music. Um, wonderful uh, drummer. And this is the only... Um, appearance with Horace on this particular album. So that's the only uh, slight change in personnel. It really hasn't, doesn't really affect the music um, uh, at all. So all of this music was uh, composed for the Japanese tour and, of course, um, played when uh, all, over, all over Japan. The band returned to the U.S., and um, Horace uh, went into the studio and recorded this album. So the music was fresh, but it, it had been played enough that it had been internalized by the band. And uh, this album, for me, stands out as one of Horace Silver's very best albums. And it's, it's one that um, a lot of people don't think about. Uh, it's a little bit underrated, and it shouldn't be, because it's a very, very strong musical statement. So that's going to be our jazz feature this evening, the Horace Silver Quintet, the traditional jazz quintet. Blue Mitchell on trumpet, Junior Cook, tenor saxophone, Horace Silver, of course, the leader on piano, Gene Taylor on bass, and John Harris Jr. on drums. And the tunes we're going to hear, all compositions by Horace Silver. The first one is entitled Too Much Saki. The tune number two is entitled the Sayonara Blues. Tune number three is called the Tokyo Blues, the title track. Tune number four is a trio track with no horns, Horace and, the, and bass and drums. And it's a, a very pretty ballad called Cherry Blossom. And the final tune, tune number five, is called Ah, soul. So here then, one of my personal favorites, maybe it'll be yours too after you hear this music, the Tokyo Blues, the Horace Silver Quintet, and we begin with Too Much Saki. Thank you. 
And, ladies and gentlemen, that was our jazz feature for this evening. Wonderful album by Horace Silver, one of my personal favorite albums by Horace. And, of course, uh, this being the month of May, we are featuring the classic jazz quintet. Trumpet, saxophone, piano, bass, and drums. And, of course, Horace Silver's group was uh, one of the finest quintets. Um, in the business, and of course they were this particular band um, with uh, the odd change in drummer was basically the same group for almost um, six years, and uh, they performed all over the world, and of course the unifying chemistry in this band was wonderful. This album that we listened to this evening was called the Tokyo Blues. That was our jazz feature, and it was issued, of course, on Blue Note Records, Horace was one of the uh, longest contracted artists for Blue Note, um, and uh, he was there right during their their rise in the 50s and and right into the 80s when he uh, moved on and uh, and Blue Note Records moved on, of course. They weren't uh, uh, taking on any new artists at the time. Horace Silver, of course, is one of the centerpieces of uh, of jazz music, and of course, his compositions, his band, his sound. Um, he was major musician and a major band leader and a major composer. So this album was recorded uh, after a tour of Japan. This was Horace's first tour of Japan as a band leader. And uh, he wrote a whole bunch of special tunes uh, to play on the tour. And, of course, the band uh, did that and internalized the music uh, beautifully. And when they returned to the United States, they recorded this album. Five tunes, all written by Horace Silver. The only difference is their regular drummer, Roy Brooks, the great Detroit drummer, was ill He didn't make the tour, and he didn't make this uh, album either. His place was taken by a young man from um, Horace's hometown in Connecticut, a young man that he knew, and um, he filled the bill more than adequately, John Harris Jr. on drums. The other members, of course, were regulars. Blue Mitchell, Richard Blue Mitchell on trumpet, Junior Cook on tenor saxophone, Gene Taylor on bass, And, of course, Mr. Horace Silver on piano. And, as I mentioned, John Harris Jr. on drums. The five tunes that we heard, we opened with Too Much Saki. The second tune was the longest track of the album, the Sayonara Blues. Then we heard the Tokyo Blues, the title track. And um, then, as a trio piece, uh, Horace played the uh, very pretty ballad entitled Cherry Blossom. And the final tune was entitled Ah Soul. So we hope you enjoyed the jazz feature this evening, the first of our features of the um, traditional jazz quintet. And uh, that particular instrumentation will be part of next week's jazz feature as well. And uh, we'll tell you more about that later. Meantime, we'd like to remind you that um, 
My name is Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we'll be back in a very few moments. We have some important announcements to make, and we're going to be back with some music by Bill Evans from uh, a wonderful album entitled Everybody Digs Bill Evans. And we're going to hear some tunes from that album. So you're a member of CITR and Discorder, but are you a true friend? Get a Friends of CITR and Discorder card for $20 for discounts in Kitsilano and around UBC at... On the Fringe Hair Design, Rufus Guitar Shop, Stormcrow Ale House, The Bike Kitchen, UBC Bookstore, Australian Boot Company, and so many more. the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Bill Evans, of course, is one of the iconic pianists in jazz music. Um, He has made scads of albums, and there's so much um, that has been issued uh, by Bill Evans over the period of um, years that he was was with us. I I always think of of Bill as... uh, kind of the Glenn Gould of jazz. As a matter of fact, Bill and Glenn Gould were friends, the, the, the iconic uh, Canadian uh, classical pianists, and they admired one another's work. Um, and, of course, they both died young as well. Um, and um, Bill, sad to say, um, was, uh, uh, well, he was, let's put it this way, he was not unfamiliar with uh, drug use. And um, that eventually, I think, led to his uh, early demise. But um, Bill was also um, an, an, an intellectual and, and um, a very lucid person. If you've seen any, any of um, videos of, of Bill on YouTube where, where he discusses music, um, he is very, very erudite and um, very clear in, in uh, his uh, musical aims and so on. 
Anyway, I hadn't listened to this particular album for a long time. It's called Everybody Digs Bill Evans, and it's his second album that he did for Riverside Records. His first album um, was quite successful, and uh, it took a while for him to... um, uh, Oren Keepnews, of course, became his friend and, and producer, and he wanted Bill to come in for a second album, and, and Bill said, well, I really don't have anything to say right now. <laughs> Instead of taking the opportunity to record, Bill was that much of an artist where he, he just felt that he, uh, he didn't really, he, didn't, he was being honest that he didn't have anything to say. However, after Bill's uh, tenure with um, Miles Davis's classic sextet, um, that was a wonderful experience for Bill, and of course, working with Miles Davis catapulted uh, Bill Evans right into uh, uh, everybody's consciousness. And of course, he recorded some marvelous albums with Miles Davis, including um, the best-selling jazz album of all times, Kind of Blue. And Bill was a big part of that album, even though he was no longer in the band. Miles called him back. Uh, for that particular recording session because his piano stylings would fit so well with the music, and it did, of course. Um, Anyway, Bill was with um, uh, Miles from about uh, April of 1958 until uh, September when when he left, and Finally, um, Oren Keepnews uh, from Riverside Records kept asking Bill uh, if he wanted to record, and Bill said yes, he was ready, and made this particular album. And um, he chose, of course, uh, one of his best friends and mentors, drummer Philly Joe Jones. They, uh, Bill and Philly Joe were very close, despite the fact that they were very different personalities. Um, Philly Joe remained Bill Evans' favorite drummer. And on bass, the great Sam Jones, no relation to Philly Joe. Sam Jones, of course, uh, played with uh, Cannonball Adderley for so many years. Um, But Philly Joe and Sam made such a a marvelous rhythm section. Now, I have the um, deluxe edition of this album where uh, producer Oren Keepnews talks about uh, Bill's playing on this album. And um, as I mentioned before, I was listening to it at home, and I read Oren's notes, and he said that this album, for, in his mind, was a unique album even for Bill Evans because he never quite played this way again. And um, Oren said he was so happy to have captured this particular um, part of Bill Evans playing because, um, of course, all musicians evolve, and somehow there were certain uh, elements of Bill's playing that are not evident on future albums. So this album, uh, for, for Oren Keepnews, said it, it occupies not just because he produced it and, and for his label, but he said it just represents um, a real aspect of uh, Bill's playing that um, was never duplicated in further albums. So if anybody would know, it would be Oren Keepnews because he did record uh, Bill Evans right up into the mid-60s, and then Bill moved on to other labels. So he was very, very familiar 
not only with every aspect of Bill's playing. Anyway, we'll get to the music. We're going to hear three tunes from this album. Uh, there's a whole variety of tunes here, but I, I've selected three. The first one is a great tune that um, Bill actually recorded uh, with Cannonball Adderley, and I guess he fell in love with the tune, as most people do, and so he decided to include it and do it as a trio version. And it's a tune by... Um, saxophonist Gigi Grice, and it's called Minority. Great tune. And we're going to open with that. And then a beautiful ballad uh, we're, we're going to hear because Bill was a magnificent ballad player. And it's a, a, a beautiful tune called Young and Foolish. Great tune. And the third tune is a Cole Porter standard. It's used by, played by a lot of jazz musicians. But Bill tears this tune up, and uh, we're going to hear his version of Night and Day by Cole Porter. So these three tunes from this uh, wonderful album by Bill, Everybody Digs Bill Evans. Incidentally, that was um, Bill didn't like the title of this album. He was a very modest man, but Keep News decided to title it that. And uh, Bill, <laughs> he, apparently he was quite embarrassed about it, but uh, the album was very successful uh, sales-wise, too. So there you go. So that's the title of the album, Everybody Digs Bill Evans, and we begin with Minority. Thank you. 
We heard three pieces from Bill Evans' album, Everybody Digs Bill Evans. And uh, one of his iconic albums, it was his second under his own name for Riverside Records. It was recorded December 15th, 1958. And it featured Bill and a hand-picked bass and drums. Of course, Sam Jones on bass and Philly Joe Jones on drums. We heard three tunes from this album. As I mentioned before, Bill, um, there were certain aspects of his playing here that um, seemed to have disappeared on future albums. Not that it wasn't great, but there was just a unique quality to this album. And uh, in reading the extensive uh, album notes, uh, Oren Keepnews, who produced the album, uh, wrote about this. And uh, uh, this album occupies, he produced a lot of Bill Evans' albums, but he said this album occupies a very special place um, in his memory. So we heard three tunes from here. The first one was a tune that uh, Bill had recorded with uh, Cannonball Adderley a few months earlier, um, and he fell in love with the tune as, of course, it became a jazz standard. Everybody played this tune. It was written by saxophonist Gigi Grice called Minority. And that was the first tune. second tune was a gorgeous ballad entitled Young and Foolish, and, of course, Bill Evans being a superb ballad player. And the third tune was Cole Porter's Night and Day, and, of course, Bill just uh, tore that tune apart and uh, just very intense 
version of the tune. And, of course, some great interplay between Bill and drummer Philly Joe Jones. Everybody digs Bill Evans. Well, I guess uh, spring has sprung, hasn't it? It's uh, The weather has been quite outstanding, and, of course, it's warmed up so much. Speaking of the weather... Speaking of the weather, of course, uh, tonight is going to be nice and clear. It was a beautiful day today, of course, and uh, tonight is going to be nice and clear with a low of 11. Then tomorrow will be sunny, and then a little later on in the day, um, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 11 and highs between 19 and 24. A bit of a downturn for Wednesday. They're calling for periods of rain but it'll be a little warmer rain, you know, so uh, that may be some uh, mild comp- compensation. Um, temperatures for Wednesday, a low of 13 and a high of 15. Uh, Thursday, um, a little bit of a same, more of the same, showers on Thursday with a low of 10, high of 14, and then back to sunshine on Friday, the end of the week, with a low of 9 and a high of 17. Saturday, It's going to be beautiful, too, with a low of 10 and a high of 20. And uh, a mix of sun and cloud, a nice mix of sun and cloud for Sunday, with a low of 11 and a high of 19. So a little bit of a glitch in the middle of the week, and then back to great, beautiful spring weather by the weekend. So that looks good. Speaking of spring, one of the great tunes written in tribute to spring, instrumental tunes, was written by a trumpeter, Freddie Hubbard. And he wrote that tune when he was part of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, one of the great editions of the Jazz Messengers. We're going to hear that band. Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, Cedar Walton on piano, Jimmy Merritt on bass, and of course... Art Blakey on drums. This is recorded at a great jazz club in Los Angeles called the Renaissance, and it was recorded in March of 1962, and we're going to hear Freddie Hubbard's wonderful tune, Up Jumped Spring. Thank you. 
Freddie Hubbard's wonderful tune called Up Jumped Spring. And a delightful waltz played by Art Blakey and his jazz messengers recorded at the Renaissance Club in Los Angeles way back in March of 1962. And uh, we heard, of course, Freddie on trumpet, Freddie Hubbard, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Wayne Shorter on tenor saxophone, Cedar Walton on piano, Jimmy Merritt on bass, and R. Blakey on drums. Up jumped spring. Certainly happened here very suddenly, didn't it? Bang. Yeah. So it promises to uh, stick around. At least, uh, as I said, we have a little bit of a downturn in the middle of the week, and then it'll be by the weekend. It'll be back, and uh, we'll enjoy it. One of the, I think, one of the really neglected um, tenor saxophonists, and one of the most individual, and he always was, was Warren Marsh. And very, very original player. And, of course, he was one of the, um, probably the prize musical student of the late, great piano um, player and teacher, Lenny Tristano. And I think Warren Marsh was really his most, uh, um, was Lenny's pride and joy because Warren... Uh, was an uncompromising musician and uh, um, developed a style on the tenor saxophone that uh, was so original and, and, and so unique. Um, I was never a big fan of Warren Marsh for many years, and, I, and it's a tribute to my musical immaturity at the time that I wasn't able to appreciate him um, as I should have. And it took me a long time, but I um, developed, uh, started listening more to Warren Marsh. And it was really great because it all happened around the same time when Warren Marsh um, came to Vancouver. Um, My friend Brian Nation um, had the Vancouver Jazz Society at the time, and he uh, Brian brought in uh, Lee Konitz and Warren Marsh to play with a, a local rhythm section, Bob Murphy on piano, Torben Oxball on bass, and George Urson on drums. And um, I got a chance to uh, spend some time with uh, Warren Marsh, and um, we uh, went out for a couple of late-night dinners, and uh, um, I had a chance to uh, uh, really get with um, Warren uh, as a person, and also uh, um, we we discussed music a lot, and and um, uh, fortunately, I by that time I had come to appreciate uh, Warren Marsh, and of course, uh, getting to know him a little bit made me appreciate him even more. So we're going to hear some music by Warren Marsh. These are our recordings that were done in Copenhagen. Around the same time he came to Vancouver, these were recorded at the tail end of uh, 1975 uh, in Copenhagen. They were never issued, and uh, they, they came out briefly on Storyville Records, and it featured um, Warren on tenor saxophone with um, 
Niels Hennig, Orsted Patterson on bass, Al Levitt on drums, and uh, a wonderful guitar player by the name of Dave Cliff. And we're going to hear some tunes uh, from this, and it was recorded, as I mentioned before, in Copenhagen. Uh, we're going to open with uh, Warren loved to play standards and, and so on. Incidentally, Warren died the way a jazz musician should die. He was playing at Dante's in Hollywood, great jazz club down there, and um, he had a heart attack as he was performing. So, great way to go. He died with his boots on, put it that way. There you go. Anyway, we're going to hear Warren in 1987, and uh, I'll... um, so he was, he, he was dying, doing what he loved to do best, which was to play music to an appreciative audience. We're going to open with Warren playing uh, Without a Song, a wonderful tune that uh, a lot of saxophone players covered. Sonny Rollins covered this tune, Joe Henderson. Uh, Warren's version is wonderful, too. Vincent Humans wrote the tune Without a Song. And then we're going to hear Warren do a ballad. And a lot of people have felt that Warren didn't, uh, his playing um, with his sound that he got, they, they felt that he wasn't a warm player. Well, I think you'll change your mind when you hear him do the, the great love song, You Don't Know What Love Is. And uh, then we're going to do another love song, but an up-tempo one. It's called Be My Love. It's a tune that was made famous by Mary Alanza, the great uh, tenor. And we're going to end with um, a Lenny Tristano composition called Lenny Bird. So uh, four tunes by Warren Marsh, Dave Cliff on guitar, Niels Hennig, Orsted Pedersen on bass, and Al Levitt on drums. Here is Mr. Marsh.
One of the great tenor saxophonists and one of the most individual that uh, 
strange sound uh, that he had, very haunting sound. And uh, his uh, concept, cliche-free, a total original player. And we heard Warren in great company with uh, guitarist Dave Cliff and, of course, the great Danish bass player, NHOP, Nels Hennig Orsted Pedersen on bass, and um, American uh, expatriate Al Levitt on drums. And we heard four tunes from this album, all recorded in Copenhagen in uh, the latter part of December of 1975. And uh, we opened with uh, Vincent Eumann's Without a Song, and then a beautiful version of uh, the Ray DePaul um, standard, You Don't Know What Love Is, and um, then another great tune that has been played by a few jazz musicians, including uh, J.J. Johnson, a tune called Be My Love. And um, that became a great uh, hit for Mario Lanza, the um, legendary uh, Italian tenor, Be My Love. And then we um, ended with a tune by Lenny Tristano, of course, who was one of Warren's mentors and teachers. Um, And he wrote that tune called Lenny Bird. And, of course, it was based on How High the Moon. And uh, Warren just burned it. There you go. Warren Marsh, Dave Cliff, NHOP, and Al Levitt. We're going to... uh, feature a wonderful trumpet player by the name of Woody Shaw, the late, great Woody Shaw. He was considered to be, in the legacy of jazz trumpet players, you know, we had people like Miles, Dizzy, Fats Navarro, Kenny Dorham, and out of that stellar, regal, quartet of trumpet players, and we had the younger guys that that came up and made their mark. Lee Morgan, Freddie Hubbard, and the youngest was Woody Shaw. And of course, um, Woody had uh, quite a strong career and unfortunately died far too young, but absolutely incredible musician. And this album was recorded during a tour of Europe in 1987, about two years before Woody passed away. And it featured basically um, two great Canadian musicians. One is well-known, one is not so well-known. Neil Swainson, of course, he originally from Victoria, is one of the best bass players in the country and uh, a real favorite and uh, such a wonderful musician. And Woody Shaw just loved Neil's playing. And on piano, wonderful Fred Henke. And Fred uh, is originally from Montreal. There hasn't been too much, uh, I haven't heard too much about Fred in the last few years, but uh, he is a marvelous piano player, as you'll hear. And on drums, uh, a very fine drummer um, from Europe by the name of Alex Deutsch on drums. And, of course, Woody Shaw on trumpet. And uh, this is a wonderful album called In My Own Sweet Way. And we're going to hear two tunes from this album. album. My favorite tune is a composition by Fred Henke, and that's what we're going to hear first, and it's called The Dragon. 
And the second tune is a Woody Shaw composition called Joshua C. So here then is some prize trumpet by the late, great Woody Shaw.
Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen.
thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of Alex Deutsch, percussion, Neil Swenson, contrabass, Fred Hinkie, piano, and virtually U.S. Woody Shaw. Thank you for our second set of the evening. Music by the late great trumpeter Woody Shaw. We heard two tunes. Woody with this um, basically, um, well, two of the guys anyway, uh, great Canadian musicians, Fred Henke on piano and Neil Swainson on bass and European drummer Alex Deutsch and, of course, Woody on trumpet. And we heard two tunes. The first one was uh, a Fred Henke composition called The Dragon, and the second tune was a Woody Shaw composition called Joshua C. And uh, both of these were recorded um, over in Europe when uh, this particular band was uh, touring with Woody Shaw back in 1987, two years before his untimely passing, Woody Shaw. One of the all-time great trumpet players. Now here's some meat and potato jazz from the mid-50s. This is from an album by the Gene Ammons All-Stars. An album is called The Twister, and it featured, of course, uh, Gene Ammons. They would um, basically, because of uh, some trouble that he had gotten into, he, uh, he couldn't perform in those days in New York City because he didn't have what they call a cabaret card. You needed that. Um, and um, uh, so he didn't have that card. But yeah, So Gene, of course, functioned and lived in Chicago and had his own band there and performed uh, there. But uh, he was under contract to Prestige Records. And so what um, they did was give Gene a phone call and say, who would you like to... Uh, uh, come and record with and, and, and play with. And Gene listed off a number of musicians that were his favorites. And uh, they'd fly Gene in and uh, contract all the musicians that uh, he asked for, and they would record. And uh, it would all be done in a few hours. And uh, uh, a whole series of albums um, on Prestige uh, with Gene Ammons were recorded, and they were the famous Gene Ammons Jam Session records. So this is one of them, and this was all done April 12th, 1957, and uh, Gene um, worked with Idris Suleiman on trumpet, one of the really underrated trumpet players. Suleiman was an amazing musician. And on alto saxophone, Jackie McLean, and... Um, on guitar, Kenny Burrell. On piano, Mel Waldron, who basically, uh, uh, Mel could uh, quickly, in the studio, uh, write little tunes and arrangements right away at the, at the drop of a hat. And so these uh, jam sessions were quite cohesive because of Mel Waldron being there. Paul Chambers is on bass, and the great New York drummer Arthur Taylor. And uh, this is a, a composition by Mel Waldron, and it's called The Twister. So here then is Gene Ammons' All-Stars. ¶¶ 
Gene Ammons, All Stars, and uh, some real meat and potatoes jazz there, which, uh, wonderful. Gene Ammons on tenor saxophone, and he led that all-star band and took the first solo. Uh, Idris Suleiman on trumpet, a most incredibly talented musician, and uh, Jackie McLean, one of the great voices on the alto saxophone, followed Kenny Burrell on guitar, Mel Waldron on piano, who wrote the little piece, and Paul Chambers on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums. And that uh, uh, riff tune, based on I Got Rhythm, was called The Twister. From the Prestige album of the same name, all of that was recorded in April of 1957. One of the all-time great alto saxophonists, is the incredible Arthur Blythe. And he was an underground musician for so many years, but he eventually headed, uh, he was from Los Angeles and based there, and he was um, established quite a reputation in Los Angeles and finally packed his bags and headed for New York City. And it didn't take long. He recorded for a lot of sort of small underground labels, and uh, Columbia Records uh, got interested, for some reason, in Arthur Blythe and his music. And they signed him to a contract, and he recorded some marvelous albums for Columbia. The first one was entitled The Lenox Avenue Breakdown, and that uh, featured Arthur Blythe on alto saxophone, James Newton on flute, and Blood Almer on guitar, Bob Stewart on tuba, Cecil McBee on bass, the great Jack DeJanette on drums, 
and my old friend Gilhermi Franco on percussion. And we're going to hear two tunes from this debut album for Columbia Records. It wasn't Arthur's debut album, but it was his debut album for Columbia. And we're going to hear two tunes from that album, both original compositions by Arthur Blythe. Uh, the first one is called Down San Diego Way, and the second tune is entitled Odessa. So here then, two of these wonderful tunes from this album, Lenox Avenue Breakdown. Thank you. 
some pretty amazing music by the late great alto saxophonist Arthur Blythe. And uh, this, as I mentioned before, this was his first album for Columbia Records. And uh, I think <laughs> the fact that Columbia signed him was as, almost as big a surprise to him as it was to uh, a lot of people because uh, his music wasn't exactly, um, it, it, it was accessible, but uh, Arthur had a, uh, basically a, rep- um, a reputation for being a little more um, on the edge or underground, and uh, somebody at Columbia was pretty smart to uh, sign Arthur Blythe, one of the most innovative voices of the alto saxophone. So we heard Mr. Blythe with um, James Newton on flute, James Blood Almer on guitar, Bob Stewart on tuba, Cecil McBee on bass, Jack DeJanette on drums, and Gil Hermie Franco on percussion. We heard two tunes, both compositions by Arthur Blythe. The first one was entitled Down San Diego Way, and the second tune was the exotic-sounding Odessa from uh, Arthur's initial album for Columbia Records called Lenox Avenue Breakdown. We're going to get in tonight's show with some blues by the wonderful tenor saxophonist, the one and only Youssef Latif. Now, Youssef recorded a lot of exotic stuff, but it was, he could play the blues, and uh, he does here and demonstrates that uh, that is an integral part of his uh, style, no matter how far out or exotic um, Many of his uh, compositions would be the blues was always a big part of it. And uh, this is Youssef with his working band of the time, a whole group of young musicians, all recorded in uh, um, the late 1950s. Youssef on tenor saxophone with Curtis Fuller on trombone, Hugh Lawson on piano, Ernie Farrow on bass, and a young Louis Hayes on drums, and this is called simply Yousef's Mood, and that's going to uh, take our show to its logical conclusion this evening, Yousef Latif. Thank you. 
Yusef Latif, one of the great voices of the tenor saxophone and many other instruments as well, with his uh, working band of the time, Curtis Fuller on trombone, Hugh Lawson on piano, Ernie Farrell on bass, and Louis Hayes on drums, all originally from Detroit, except for Yusef. He was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but uh, spent some formative years in uh, Detroit, Michigan, and uh, developed as a musician there. Yusef Latif. I'd like to thank you very much for uh, checking out The Jazz Show this evening. And we'll be back next week, next Monday evening at 9 p.m. for another edition of The Jazz Show. And so on behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, The Jazz Show, and of course, radio station CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca and we shall see you in seven days' time. So take care, enjoy springtime, and enjoy life. Bye-bye.